This is the Medical Republic. I'm Francine Crimmins. And today's episode is a special bonus. It's the best interview moments we recorded at the Wild Health Summit, which was held in Sydney. The first interview is from our political reporter, Penny Durham. She's interviewing Matu Bush, who founded One Good Street, a social networking platform to encourage neighbour-initiated care for older residents who might be at risk of social isolation and loneliness. They're talking all about patient-centred design. What does it really mean? And how can we avoid the buzzwords and actually practice it day to day? Hello, this is Penny. I'm here at the Wild Health Summit in Sydney in 2019 and with you is Mathieu Bush. Hey, how are you? I'm the Deputy Director of Health Transformation at RMIT University. Great. And you were part of a panel this morning, earlier, that was talking mainly about patient centricity in the health system. Is it a bit of a buzzword in health at the moment? Look, we're fatigued. It's been a buzzword for years. And there are new buzzwords that have emerged, such as transformation, disruption and innovation. And what healthcare is brilliant at doing is just absorbing them and doing nothing with them. So it's been around for a long time. Actually, when I look at it and see conferences with it on the title, It's like co-design, we need to move towards co-leadership. We need something far more central and far more robust and aggressive in our approach to improving the lives of our patients by empowering and enabling them. So yes, it's been around for a long time. Those in healthcare are well familiar with it and well familiar with the pantomime and shenanigans that go with that. Indeed, there was a certain note of cynicism about the concept of patient centricity on the panel. And while um, particularly uh, Erwin Lowe acknowledged that it's outdated to approach patients as widgets on a production line, uh, various panel members found um, that you can only take patient centricity so far and sometimes it's an unrealistic expectation. And you had some comments on that. Yeah, I think it depends on which perspective you're looking at. So for a patient, what do they want and need at any particular point will be very different. And so we're not even sophisticated enough in that panel to talk about cohorts. So bariatric patients, what does it mean for them? Hip hip and knee replacement uh, patients versus cancer patients versus people who are 95 suffering from frailty. So every single cohort will have a different kind of flavour and that's the sort of level of sophistication we need to be at in order to address improving the experience. But I think at its basic level, what we have to do is look at how people experience our health services from the five senses. What do they see, taste, touch, hear and smell? And if we start working just with that, then we can improve the experience. And that starts with interior design, it starts with acoustic barriers by playing music so you don't hear the person in the consult room next to you. It's about providing tea and coffee for people, nice spaces to sit in with soft fascination, greenery, etc. So we have the tools there. Just focus on how they experience our services through their senses. And we just jump to technology, which is a mistake, because you can have a great app, but if you're sitting in a shitty waiting room that makes you feel even worse, we've failed. Exactly. And um, also, as, as Mary Foley from Telstra Health noted, you do need some standardisation and protocols in health. Not everything can be personalised. Correct. But that's the price of admission. Yeah. So to remind a room full of people in healthcare that we need standards and quality and safety. We know that. That's just the fence that we want to jump because we've already achieved it. It should be the price of admission. Absolutely. We don't want to sacrifice that uh, for experience, but what we tend to do is sacrifice experience at the altar of safety and quality. 
And when the discussion turned to patient data, you also had some pretty fresh points to make about how patients not only track their own health journeys but document them on social media. Absolutely. I, one thing I did, Ed, when I worked at a cancer hospital was follow every patient on social media and I really understood at a much better level their experience of the hospital and better experience of their scan results, the anxiety that, that pre... pre the anxiety, anxiety that they experience before they walk in that starts the night before. So they can't sleep, they're stressed, they start posting photos about it, they start blogging about it. So by the time they get in and if I see them, I can say, hey, sounds like you're having a rough day, I've got you a coffee, or I've made it easy for you somehow. And it's getting pretty noisy in here, but one final question. Um, as you said, patients remember acutely how they're treated on a personal level. They remember the kindness and they remember the bad mood of the receptionist. So you have a tip for employers in health organisations. Yeah. So start at the front door. Start with the cleaners and the admin staff. And if you improve them, you're well on the way of proving your entire culture because they are an alternate power base because they are the ones that are in that hospital all the time. They are the face of the organisation. So I made it a point to start to recruit from airline industry to the front desk so we had a much more customer-centric uh, focus. Anyone that wasn't up to a set of service standards was actively performance managed out and that'll cause a truckload of grief but you have to do it because an admin person shouldn't make you cry because you've come to the wrong uh, clinic for, uh, for your appointment but that happens daily and that's the type of uh, that's the level you have to get down to if you think about improving the patient experience which includes what are they hear, taste, touch smell and you get a sense of trying to improve all of those touch points. Matthew Bush, thank you very much. Pleasure. For anyone who doesn't already know, Wild Health is the digital healthcare arm of the Medical Republic. They host one-day conferences which crack open all things in the world of healthcare startups, organisational innovation and even health informatics. For the second part of today's show, I decided to sit down with Tim Blake. He's the Managing Director of Semantic Consulting and was the chair of many of the very contentious debates at the summit. Let's jump in and find out who's really better at digital health. Is it GPs or is it other specialists? So, Tim Blake, thank you so much for coming on the Medical Republic podcast. You've just chaired one of probably the more interesting sessions for GPs here at Wild Health in Sydney, and it was all about who is better at digital health. Uh, is it the GPs? Is it primary care physicians? Or does it rest in tertiary care? Um, it sounds like a competition, but I'm sure it's not that black and white. Yeah, look, I think we had a really good discussion. Um, look, Jeremy loves to set these things up so that uh, it's one against the other. But I think in reality, we, we had a really good survey of um, the innovation that's going on in both of those sectors. Um, so we had some, some representation from primary care who talked about some of the history here over 20 years of how computerisation has occurred and how doctors have slowly but surely changed their culture. Um, we talked about some of the great innovation in integrated care that's going on in, in tertiary care. But I think most importantly, we talked about how we get primary and tertiary care to work together. Um, and we talked through a number of examples of just simple things from, from people sitting down together, from uh, GPs going into hospitals and talking to junior doctors about what they expect in discharge summaries. And, and I guess in the example that I gave, we, 
saw um, you know discharge summaries come down from like what could be 15 or 20 pages down to something that was much shorter and easier for the doctors to produce but um, yeah um, then um, something that was much more consumable for the GP something that they really wanted so we explored a whole range of those things and I think we had a really good engaged discussion. So one thing that was a bit contentious and I found quite interesting is this relationship of you know, at the moment we may have such short amounts of time with a patient in the room and one doctor on the panel, I believe he was a GP, he was saying he can handwrite a script in 30 seconds. Mm. And if you put a computer in front of him and you put all of these amazing technologies, that process, which can be 30 seconds in real life, could take hours depending on whether it all works, whether it's all interoperable, whether the patient understands it even, and how that data is then shared with tertiary providers. I think his point was really valid, that it it does take doctors longer to use computer systems, and I think we've got to be careful here. I think one of the challenges is we've missold um, the value proposition to doctors, and we've said, oh, you know what, it's going to be faster for you to do this, and I don't think that's the point. Um, I think the point is it's going to be safer for you to do this. You can deliver higher quality care. And what we always should have said is when, say, you're writing a prescription, you know what, it might take a bit longer, but it's okay. And I know that's frustrating for you and we'll do everything we can to make the user experience great. But it might still take a bit longer than writing on paper because that's kind of hard to beat. But what it will do is save patient lives and that really matters and it's worth you spending that little bit of extra time. So I think it was a really, really good point and, and something that you know shines the light back on the fact that we haven't necessarily always explained the benefits of digital systems in the right ways. And part of it is explaining those digital systems and another element that really came out on the panel is also whether the training is there. Uh, especially for GPs and even for some specialists who maybe are used to one system of doing things. Do you think that it came out in the panel today where the training providers are covering these bases? Yeah, we talked about some of the both the curriculums and the culture that's created through the medical education process. And I think obviously there there's more that can be done in terms of educating doctors in terms of the use of systems. But I think more importantly, what we exposed in our conversation is there's still a fundamental culture of um, not necessarily being able to deal with some of the softer elements of medicine, being able to deal with engaged patients and patients having their own data. Um, and, and some of those fundamental changes, we're not necessarily seeing that properly brought back into the education system so that um, there can be this change in culture that we need to support this new world. One of the other things we discussed was just working in teams. And it's interesting, isn't it? All these other industries, every other industry expects that of its new graduates, that we'd work together in teams. And yet in healthcare, we still don't educate people to do that really well. Um, so I think there was a real challenge laid down today to to universities and um, institutes that um, educate medical students as to how we can really drive that a lot better. I think another interesting thing I was watching the interactive questions that were coming up during the session and a lot of people in the audience today were asking of some of our panelists who may work on competing software companies for example how they are going with data sharing with one another and whether they're all speaking the same language. So one part of it seems to be, yes, in clinic, between patients, um, even between specialties. And then the other side of it is 
those providers of the technology. They need to start cooperating rather than competing always. Yeah, this has been a problem in the industry for a long time and we call this challenge interoperability. So how can we share information, but not just share it, but know that we mean the same thing by it? Because it turns out if we share it, but then mean something different, people can die or be injured. So this is a really, really important area. It's It can feel very technical and its implementation is very technical, but its outcomes are real. It affects people's lives. Um, and I think the, the great thing is we've actually made some progress on this in the last couple of years. There's a new um, standard for interoperability called FIRE and it's far from perfect but it really does have a lot of momentum and there are a lot of vendors out there going, you know what, we're going to implement this, it's important, we can see the value of this. And so if we'd been sitting here one or two years ago, we might have had a different conversation that, oh no, it's Groundhog Day, we're going through the same problems again, we're not making any progress. We're actually starting to see progress and Dr Nathan Pinsky has shared um, some views around how a CSIRO-led project is starting to define standards for exchanging patient records between primary health systems and that's just a wonderful thing. It's one of our maybe our hall of shame as the medical industry that patients would expect that we'd solve these problems already and if you ask them they'd go oh, I'm sure you can do that already and it turns out we can't. Um, but yeah look it, it's great that we're making that progress and I think we should we should reward ourselves for that. that that's a good thing even though it's long overdue. So you said that in some ways when we talk about innovation culture or the problems that we still need to solve, it can seem sometimes like it swings and roundabouts, but there is progress being made. How would you sum up uh, the panel and what are your biggest takeaways from today? Look, the way I started was actually just by being positive and celebrating some of the progress that's made. I mean, the healthcare system is so big and so complex and sometimes can be so overwhelming that it feels like we don't ever make any progress. But the reality is we do. We're seeing some great innovation. We are seeing areas of health system talk together. Um, and as we make progress, it kind of peels back one layer and then we see the next layer. And we're beginning to peel back the layer of technology and information sharing and interoperability. And what we see under that is the next issue of culture um, and issues of data quality and whose job is it to keep high quality data and is it a part of clinical care or is it just an administrative function? And also who has access to that as we've seen with my health record that's one of the biggest concerns. Yeah well there's a changing societal dynamic here as, as patients really have a growing expectation of at least access to their data and, and access in a way that's actually usable um, if not as we discussed in a, in a previous panel this morning ownership of that data in some instances pa patients strongly believe that they should own the data and it should be they who choose who sees it. Um, so yeah look we've got these massive shifting cultural elements underneath that the, our society is not standing still, our, our healthcare system is operating in a, in a context that's changing um, and it changes the expectations and it in one sense makes the challenge even harder. But we can point to some positive progress, you know, I think we are making moves towards sharing that information, we've seen some very progressive revela um, regulation from the US government and look hopeful that we'll maybe do some similar things here in Australia as well. Yeah, I think for me, one of the things is that with peeling back those layers, it is one process of continuous learning. And that's something that doctors already do so well. They're continuously learning the latest in clinical, and this is just another face of it where 
we need to continuously learn technology and how to apply that effectively for patients. Yeah, look, it's easy to bag doctors in in some of these conversations. And the reality is that the vast majority of doctors are very motivated by the patients. They do a great job with the resources they have available. They're massively stretched. Some of them are at the point of of burnout. And frankly, IT systems have not generally helped with that. They haven't been good in terms of user experience. They've taken a disproportionate amount of time and taken time away from clinical care so I think the IT industry has to step its game up a lot to really help doctors Um, and and I think like you said doctors will come to the party on that Uh, I think everyone wants the same outcomes it's just we need to spend more time listening to each other and, and working together across those boundaries. That's fantastic Tim thank you so much for filling us in on the latest out of Wild Health today. You're welcome thanks for your time.